This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast. This is your host, David, and co-host, Kyle. We are actually sitting live in the same recording place today for the first time weird. ever. Yeah, it is kind of weird, actually. And we have with us today a legend in more than his own mind in New England circles, in the real estate investment community on a regional and a national basis, Mr. Justin Sloan. Justin, it's cool to have you today, man. Thanks for having me, David. And hey, Kyle, how you doing today? Good, man. What's happening? How are you? Oh, good. Just living the dream over here, selling some insurance. There you go. So, yeah, it's a funny story. The reason Kyle's here in the same office with me today is because we had a loss control visit um, via the phone, like a, a loss control survey, I should say, not a visit, because we have an opportunity for one of those amusement facilities in Florida that has those massive slingshot rides. <laughs> where they pull the slingshot down and let it go, and then they just fire people up into the air. It's absolutely insane to watch this thing operate up close. The size of the cords on it are so, nuts. I don't know if you caught the other part of that, too. They also have a ride called the Vomitron. <laughs> no, I didn't. Know. <laughs> Ridiculous. They, okay. You'll so not, You will not catch me on anything called the Vomitron. No, probably not. I mean – it's just you're asking for it at that point. So that's what we've been working on. We we were working on talking to the workers' comp people about that. And unless these guys get on the ride after hours and claim that they were testing it for some reason, it's really not a terrible workers' comp exposure for the place. The go-karts are the worst. That's right. that's the bigger issue. Yeah. You start dealing with go-karts, you know, little Susie doesn't hit the brake, she hits the gas, and then she runs over a guy and mangles his ankle, and you've got a nasty indemnity claim. I hate Susie. She's the worst driver ever. <laughs> so talk a little bit about what's going on with you man i mean you tell everybody sort of your, what your backstory is um you know i know what it is but that doesn't mean that that they do you've sort of had a little bit of a sampling on where you've where you've been in the insurance world yeah absolutely well thanks for having me guys um my background basically i went to college here in connecticut at central connecticut state university Graduated with a um, bachelor BS in finance, so 
I graduated in 2008 and everybody knows what happened in 2008 with the financial crisis. So my aspirations were to sell stocks on Wall Street and that whole you know, story, but that uh, quickly fizzled out. So um, I went to a career fair at college and insurance was not on my radar whatsoever, but I needed to find something stable. And I was approached by a ENS wholesaler, excess and surplus lines wholesaler out of West Hartford, Connecticut, um, by the name of S.H. Smith and Company. So I started there, didn't take any uh, summer break or anything, jumped right in back in 2008, um, started as an insurance technician, basically just the grunt in the uh, company. Everybody would just throw me all the stuff they didn't want to do. So I really dove headfirst into insurance, got licensed very quickly, um, worked my way up over seven years. It took about three years uh, to get into underwriting, and I was the, basically almost the head of the small commercial binding authority division of our team. I saw about 32 to 3,500 small commercial accounts across my desk every day. Um, so I saw a lot of volume from insurance agents all over the country, pretty heavy here in the Northeast, but we had a pretty big presence in Ohio and some other states out uh, in the Midwest. But um, long story short, I had a pretty bad car accident in the summer of 2012. Um, I don't want to say a near death experience, but it was pretty close to it, as close as you can get to it. Um, and that really opened up my eyes. I always had goals and aspirations of being a, a business owner. And um, I kind of wrote it out for another year at, at that company um, and started up my own first scratch agency. And I think it was 2013, somewhere around there, 2014, maybe. Um, so I started that first agency, independent agency. Um, we started with no companies, no, no accounts, nothing like that. Worked it up to about, we had about 13 appointments after I left, after three years, sold my agency to my business partner, and then started up this scratch agency, um, BSP Insurance out of Meriden, Connecticut, um, where I'm an owner as well. And we've been, we're at three years in right now. And as you kind of alluded to in your introduction, my niche is real estate investment insurance. So uh, my clients are on a national level. We're licensed in about 40 so, 40 plus or minus states. So we're actively just building out that niche. Um, we do have a pretty heavy book of what I call generalist type insurance because that's kind of how we started. But we're starting to focus more on niches this year um, and some micro niches as well. So that's kind of my story. So here's a question that I have for you because I'm a big believer in that you have to be able to go deep in certain things. And, you know, you'll hear everybody say the riches are in the niches. Yeah. You, and you definitely need more than, than one, in my opinion, um, you know, to, to be successful. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. What point of inflection did you determine that it was time for you to start really drilling down? I think every single one of us, at least the overwhelming majority starts our agency as a generalist. And there's at some point you figure out, okay, here's, here's, here's where I'm really having success. I really probably need to explore this more. It's kind of almost like an evolution of an agency. I think there's probably that tipping point for everybody, but I'm interested in, you know, when you decided, okay, this, this makes sense for us to go down this path. Yeah, sure. So I think there was two points. One actually was when I was a wholesaler. Um, 
I was working with, like I said, ind independent insurance agents across the country. Um, and being in the small commercial space, I saw a lot of like flip properties, properties that were distressed or needed some work, needed some renovations. And, you know, they're, they're um, very, very low premiums, very quick deals, you know, average premium, thousand, two thousand bucks, whatever. Um, but what I noticed is a lot of insurance agents didn't realize the coverage form and the need for certain coverages on these deals. You know, a lot of these agents were sending me, hey, can you beat this? And it's like basic perils, ACV, da, 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 da. And it was just garbage. And I'm like, why are you giving this to people? So that was number one. Number two was um, about, I would say about 18 months, maybe even two years ago, um, I took on a client who owns a property management company, also has their own portfolio of properties. Uh, they were referred to me from a local Allstate agent that said, hey, I can't do these flip properties. So I started talking with them. And about six months after that, he chirped in my ear, hey, don't say anything, but I am putting an offer in to buy the Connecticut, Connecticut Real Estate Investors Association, which is the fourth largest real estate investor association in the entire country. Every single state has at least one association. Um, some states have more than one. So when he told me that, he said, listen, the reason why I'm telling you this is I want to kick out the current vendor. They have vendors at each event. Insurance was one of them. So they they kicked out the guy that was there, brought me in. Um, he knew I did a good job with his stuff. But once that happened, it was just like bling, bling, you know, blinking lights in my face. Like, hey, Justin, here's here you go. Here's a sign like you need to go head first into it. So when that occurred, I went to all of my markets that I was writing with saying, hey, I got to do some sort of affinity program or I got to build out something that's custom to these people. So I stumbled upon a, I think they're an MGU. I think they're out of Georgia or Florida, somewhere down near you. And uh, they had a pretty quick quote bind issue program, special perils, everything I wanted, no inspections, quote bind issue in three minutes or so. And we just been cranking with them. I mean, we're writing a couple policies a day. Um, the average premium is $1,017. But the point is, you know, we turn this into a systematic process. It's very low touches by my agency, very low servicing. And we end up getting the rest of the account. So, well, that's the only way that would work. Yeah. Right. I mean, on that kind of an average policy premium, you can't be handling it a bunch of times or having to service it a ton or you're dead in the water on, on trying to make a profit. What um, you'd mentioned micro niches. What what's a micro niche for somebody who might not know what a micro niche is? Sure. Yeah, I know you had uh, Mr. Bob Klinger on the other day. He's a, a great guy to use, and I know he spoke about it as well. So, a niche is basically uh, for me, it's real estate investment insurance. But a, a micro niche could be uh, just the flip properties or just condo associate. Maybe condo association is not even a micro niche. Maybe the property manager that just manages condo associations, you know, any of the services or industries that help my niche is kind of like a micro niche. So we're getting a lot of, you know, general contractors, we're getting a lot of um, handymen and stuff like that. So we're building out little tiny niches inside of our main niche. Um, and this didn't happen on purpose. It was more by accident. A lot of my real estate investors don't just own 
real estate investment properties. They have other businesses they have. They have other people that need to comply with their insurance requirements per their contract. And they know that I know what I'm talking about. So I'm getting referrals for all of these ancillary services. So the micro niche piece is not as big as the main niche, but that's because we haven't built it out yet. We're bringing on some new producers that we're trying to do that with. And um, I know there's a gentleman out in California that brings on producers and requires them to start inside the agency with at least two or three niches and says, listen, I'm going to pay you on niche business only. And if you do any generalist type um, accounts, I'm not going to pay you. And I know, David, at your agency, if someone brings in an account and it doesn't generate 5000 of income, you don't even want to look at it, let alone you know compensate them. So that's something that we're starting to pursue as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, man. I was just on the phone with a guy or a Zoom meeting with a guy that was <laughs> he's in Killing Commercial and he had his producers in the room with him and then immediately says, Explain to these guys why you don't want them to make anything, you know, get paid on anything five thousand dollars or less. And I mean, you know, my thought part thought process is this. You gotta work really hard to like if you're out if you're a producer. And you're outside prospecting. You're working really hard to find an account that you can't get five thousand in revenue out of. Now, I'm not saying, and it's important for people to understand this. But the example that I used in sales meeting um, for our people here was a plumbing company that I brought in. And the plumbing company, we I, I brought in the auto. Well, the auto was only twenty eight hundred dollars in revenue, and there, you know, people want to know, well, it's not $5,000. No, I'm not saying it has to be $5,000 this exact second. Show me how you're going to get to $5,000. Well, this was a, a great example. It was only $2,800 in revenue with the auto only. But when I started drawing spokes out and then naming the different opportunities like life insurance, buy, sell, you know, buy, sell agreement, um, you know, the workers' comp, the general liability, the umbrella, the employee benefits. Uh, can we get revenue by referring to one of our payroll partners? This thing turned into like $23,000 in revenue. And I think so many times people get caught up in the fact 5000 in revenue seems like it's a lot per account. And they're looking at, well, I need to bring in a policy that's like $50,000 in premium. I don't have those growing on trees. It's not what we're talking about. There's a lot of ways you can get to $5,000 in revenue. So, you know, I personally don't want to be anywhere close to five grand, but at the same time, for somebody who's just starting out, it's not as much of a negative incentive to go after bigger stuff as it is a positive incentive to teach them how to round an account that they're working on. It's pretty hard not to get to five grand if you have two or three things you can pull from. Right. I think the only ones that that have come across my way have been stuff that has been referrals from payroll partners where we're just doing the comp form initially, and maybe they're a smaller startup company and haven't had coverage before, um, you know, things of that nature. It's it, like you said, it is hard to prospect an account that's not going to at some point be at the 5k mark. It's, I mean, there's not a ton of business out there that's that you're going to prospect. that's like that. No, it has to be an accident. Nobody's right. intentionally going to go after that. Totally. So, um, Justin, what do you, what kind of automation do you have in place, you know, for, uh, some of these, micro niche and niche accounts to, you know, kind of keep your hands off of it as much as possible. Yeah. So about, I would say a year, a little over a year ago, 
I went full force with Capsule 5. They're um, an automation company. They basically, his, his background, Josh uh, Hinman's his name, he's the CEO of the company. His background was at Infusionsoft, and he left there and really focused in the insurance space and helping us with um, account rounding, new business sales, and servicing and stuff like that. So basically what I did was, we're on Pipedrive. That's our CRM. Okay. Um, Hawksoff is our agency management system. And right now what we're doing with them is every similar to what you guys are using with HubSpot. Obviously HubSpot is Pipedrive on steroids, but it, it fits our need. Um, <clears throat> so when a new business comes in the door, I have a template. It's on my iPhone. It's on my desktop. The team members have it. You know, thanks for reaching out. Here's a link to our website. Fill out this form. That form mirrors exactly what our um, program requires for underwriting to get a quote. So basically, you know, if they had an open API, we'd be able to integrate it. Right now, we do have the manual entry, but that's the only work we really do is entering about 18 pieces of data. It takes about two minutes to do. Um, and then what happens is we put that into the CRM, um, does the automated quote follow-up, things of that nature. In that email, it's a template as well. At the bottom, there's a video explaining step-by-step -step instructions, how to issue the policy, what to do after binding, how to grab their own policy documents. So it's very hands-off. Um, it allows a lot of, I, I wouldn't say self-servicing, but allows them to at least upload the data and then we can push it to the insurance company with a click of the button. So we try, even though the average premium is only about $1,017, what we're finding is it's a bigger piece of a bigger puzzle. They usually have a buy and hold portfolio um, and they also have other flip properties going on. They typically need general contractors insurance, an umbrella policy, and then obviously they have the personal lines as well. And also most of these people own other businesses. So my average clients about seven policies uh, at a minimum for you know a policy count, so to speak. So in regards to the automation though, it's really that CRM that's getting it to the finish line and then it's nurturing them with um, a welcome campaign. And then we use it also for the renewal process. It sends out an automated text, automated email about two months in advance because we call every single person uh, um, prior to the renewal and we just do like a quick review with them. So what we do is we put all the questions we have into an email um, in a landing page, they fill it out and then we have a call about what they filled out. Um, so we have a pretty good renewal retention with that automation and it streamlines the whole process and reduces the amount of time that we spend on the phone with them at renewal. Um, before we were spending about 20 minutes, now it's closer to about 10. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I think automation automation's huge. I think it's a place where a lot of agents end up getting distracted um you know me especially i'm easily distracted to begin with but um you know i can tell you that when you start putting automations into an agency that's had nothing prior you can go down a lot of rabbit holes what advice would you give if, if i was an agency out there that was looking to dip my toe into automating my processes where would you tell me to start I would start either with a welcome campaign or new business sales. I think our biggest pitfall starting up, and even though this was my second agency and I learned a lot of lessons, was again, just new business prospecting and make sure that every single lead that comes in the door 
is getting callbacks and emails back. I was talking to my business partner, Chris Paradiso, and I don't remember the exact number, but my mind was blown. I think he said something like 60% or something. It was very high. I remember this. 60% of all like online leads that come into an agency don't get quotes. Yes, they'll get a call back or whatever, but they might not get quotes. My mind was blown by that. If you do, if you have leads coming in through your website, there should be some kind of automated email. It should be uploaded to the CRM automatically. So I think the new business sales is probably the biggest thing because it helps you stay on top of it. Uh, Pipe drive is pretty good. I don't get money or compensated for promoting them by any means. And I know HubSpot's great too, and there's a bunch out there. But Pipe Drive, just the view. And I know HubSpot looks like it as well. Um, just easy to see. It tells me when I'm, you know, all my tasks and activities for the day. It, it tells me what other team members are doing and not doing, I guess, is the biggest thing. How many calls are made, how many emails are sent, service requests, stuff like that. So, you know, the new business sales is probably the biggest thing, especially for uh, somebody that's trying to just tiptoe in um, because that automation piece is a, a pleasant experience for our prospects. Um, following up on quotes is huge, you know? How do you, how do you use that automation and the stuff that you're able to get from it to coach your guys? Can you elaborate on your question, Kyle? Reporting, I think yeah. is where he's going. Like, right. how do you use that reporting? Yeah. So, um, just marking deals won or lost. And the reason that their, um, loss is a big thing because I, I have, um, I usually send it out every month or every other month. Uh, the next 90 days of business that we didn't get the year prior and the reason why that's a huge thing, especially for our producers right now with the coronavirus and everything going on. Maybe it's slow for certain producers, but I'm able to be like, Hey, look at here's a dozen accounts that you worked on last August. And here's the reasons why you didn't get them. Let's pick up the phone. Let's call them again. We already have all the data points. We just need it to be updated and confirm it's accurate. And then, you know, I call it mining for gold, you know, and it's it's things that they were willing to give us already. Why not go back after it? I think that's huge. Obviously, you can probably do this in an a, uh, agency management system as well. But the CRM literally run report, lost deals. Here's the time frame you want to look at. And there's your report. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a huge proponent of the re the reporting capabilities. And I mean, I've, I've gone on record multiple times that I think agencies are always, con they're consistently griping about, we need new business, we need new business, we need new business. My comment to that is, that's because they're running their business like an insurance agency. Until you actually go sell a policy and you have to administer that policy, you're not an agency. You're a sales organization, period. You're out, you're calling on people, you're selling deals. Yeah, you have to be in a licensed agency to handle the insurance transaction and to talk about it. But, you know, the the facetious comment that I always make is go to a go to a Fortune 500 company with a high-performing sales staff and tell me how many of them are using an agency management system to run that sales staff. Like nobody. So why are we doing that inside of an agency? You know, I think that agencies missed the boat because by and large, you know, I don't mean to make a blanket statement, but experience tells me that a lot of agency owners are cheap. You know, they don't want to spend the money. They don't look at the technology as an investment. They look at it as an expense line. And that couldn't be further from the truth. 
that would be like going out and saying, well, I'd like to hire a producer, but man, I don't want to have to pay him anything. I just want the new business to come in without giving them anything. It's no different when you have a CRM with automations that can do what needs to be done. And, you know, I think that for me, having the ability to log into a dashboard and see things visually makes it very easy to see where we have bottlenecks in our process. If I've got a producer that has a bunch of deals that say waiting on appointment to be set, pretty sure they have a hard time getting appointments set. Let's figure out what's going on. How many times have you called this person? How many times have you done a marketing drop to drop by and see them? You know, have you sent them a handwritten note? Like, what's the interaction level? And then we can drill down. We can listen to, we can listen to the phone calls from Lightspeed to find out whether or not, you know, they're stumbling when they're trying to set the appointment. Are they using a good script? What does that look like? But it makes it much much easier to to manage a sales team when you have that tool. And, you know, I did a, a article on it before about treating technology as a team member. You have to, man. I don't view HubSpot as being an expense line. I view HubSpot as an investment that has basically allowed me to replace four physical bodies, not because I don't want the people in here, but because it's actually going to provide a better work product than a human would as long as it's programmed correctly. And I think that's where there's a huge disconnect with a lot of agencies out there is they just don't get the value of having a CRM as a tool for the sales process. And it's, you know, look, we can go back and forth all day about this. We're very much aware that there's not really anything that integrates with an AMS. Although I did hear that apparently there's a direct integration between Salesforce an applied epic that was just released. That's a game changer if it actually works the way that I would like to see it work. Yeah, I, I do know, I'm not going to name drop, but I do know a CRM that's integrated right now with um, Hawksoft, which we're on. However, it's backwards. The data gets pushed from Hawksoft to the CRM and not the other way around. And the problem with that is the Hawksoft, the data points that we're putting in is not exactly how we use it in the CRM. Hawksoft in every agency management system is more for a data, <clears throat> excuse me, a data download from Ivan's. So when we put all the data into, let's say travelers issue a policy, the next day we come in and what travelers has in their system downloads our agency management system, it's already too late. The sales already won, right? It should be coming from the CRM and then get pushed over to the agency management system. But the reasoning behind that and the logic behind that is um, privacy, protection, cyber, et cetera, et cetera. So, and I get it, but until everybody starts to loosen up and let things do what they normally do with the open APIs, we're still going to be playing this game, the chicken or the egg type game or whatever analogy you want to use. But it's just getting to the point now where it's 2020, guys. We're going on 2021. You know, all the other industries, the banking industry, you know, things like that, they, they're they already caught up. We're still behind the curve. We're behind the eight ball here trying to figure this out. But, you know, we're making some strides. We do right now, I think we're using about 18 to 20 different um, softwares that are outside of our management system because there's no one golden bullet management system that has everything integrated that you can do. If there is, please let me know what it is and I'll give you uh, my firstborn child to, to get that product because I do know about Neon and what Seth Saremba is doing and stuff like that. But again, 
There's nothing that today I can go and buy on the marketplace that can do everything that you, David, and I need for my agency. No, I'm with you 100%. I mean, it's it's really at the point where we don't even touch Hawksoft until the download happens. Yeah. Unless it's a piece of business that's excess and surplus lines, and we need to go into Hawksoft to create the accord form to do the submission to the wholesaler, we're not even putting anything in there until it downloads. We're putting everything into the CRM and, and running the, that entire process through the CRM. Then when the policy's bound, the download comes through, we match it up and reconcile everything to make sure that it's legit and that the data is tight. And then we go on about our business. Um, otherwise, if we put that into Hawksoft, my concern is, and what I've experienced, half the time you get downloads, depending on how the carrier transmits that through Ivan's, it wipes out what you put in anyhow. And yeah. you have to go back in and clean it back up. So you're doing double and triple work. So it's easier for us just to run the agency out of the CRM, use Hawksoft for accounting, producer reporting, and you know certificates that we don't have, you know that, that have special language that people can't use our portal for. But aside from that, man, I mean, I, I just I don't really see any value in engaging the agency management system until you absolutely have to. Yeah, I agree. There's a gentleman by the name of Mike Fusco. Um, I believe he's out of California. He, San Diego. He, I, remember, I know. There you go. He uh, he and I hopped on a call because he's on Pipe Drive as well. And oh my God, I was like literally smiling ear to ear because he basically uses Pipe Drive as almost his AMS. He's built out all these different templates and automations and everything, like the data points that he puts into the CRM. These things are so easy to manipulate. You can put any data point you want in, um, even consolidate commissions and stuff like that. So the days of you know spending thousands and thousands of dollars a year on an AMS inevitably is probably going to become obsolete or archaic in the near future. Um, and, you know, with things that Neon and Seth's doing, trying to make Ivan's almost obsolete, um, you know, we're making strides in the right direction. And I can't wait for that day to occur. How much stuff are you doing right now? I mean, you're, you're relatively tech savvy. Um, you know, what, how much have you explored some of the Tarmicas, Semsi, some of these uh, interfaces that are being developed to not only make the quoting process easier as a commercial agency where it operates like a raider, but also having a client facing widget that you can put on your site where they can basically get bindable quotes in real time and never even have to mess with your staff. Have you explored any of that stuff yet? Yeah. Like I said, we're using about 18 different software applications right now. Tarmica is definitely one of them. Um, that's a great product for those of you that don't know. It's a commercial lines comparative raider. Um, there are other ones out there, but what we found about this one is they're um, focused specifically on the independent insurance agent. They're not focused on the carriers or anything like that. They have our voice, our opinion, and they go out to the marketplace and they're starting to get a lot of the insurance companies signed up, Liberty Mutual. Um, I think Travelers is in there now. Um, there's just a CNA. There's a bunch of them coming on. And inevitably, I think if you're not, if you're an insurance company and you're not appointed with Tarmica in the next 12 to 18 months, you might as well not even be in the small commercial space because it's just like, you know, if you have a personal lines comparative rater, think about all the companies that you have appointments with 
that don't have integration with your comparative rater. How much business does your agency write with them? I guarantee it's less than 5%, uh, maybe 10 if you're being generous. But we have some companies that aren't in our comparative rater for personal lines and they're an afterthought, you know, and it's unfortunate in the year 2020 that, you know, maybe they don't want to pay the integration or whatever type of fees are associated with it. But, you know, the commercial lines, Raider's huge for our agency. Um, we do a lot with uh, Sales MSG, which is a texting service. It's integrated with PipeDrive. Um, obviously, DocuSign we're on right now as well. That's a huge uh, time saver for us. And probably a lot of the other ones that you guys are currently using as well. Um, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole just because I'm trying to keep this time uh, under an hour for you, David. But, you know, I, I think the t biggest takeaway from this conversation that we're having is, you know, whether your agency has been in business 100 years or one day, you know, look at this as an investment. Like you said, don't look at it like an overhead and expense. Look at it as an investment that's going to give you a positive ROI. I mean, pipe drive, I don't even know what we pay. I think it's like 100 bucks, 200 bucks a month, something like that. But the amount of hours that it saves my agency, and yes, it does maybe replace one or two people in my agency, but those people are now doing other things inside of my agency as opposed to following up on quotes and chasing down people on renewals. It's doing more of that automation piece that's very low, you know, cost per hour type job where they could be focusing on higher level things like maybe remarketing renewals or calling on referrals and thanking them for the business, things that are more meaningful that you can't really truly automate. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think one of the things is, and I play devil's advocate a lot when I'm talking with other agency owners, but one of the first things I want any of these people to do is define what they'll be willing to work for, for an hour. What's your hourly rate? If you tell me your hourly rate's 200 bucks and you're busy spending time on something that you could outsource for 25 to $50 an hour, you're losing money. Why aren't you doing what you can do to get your $200 an hour and free yourself up by spending the 25 to 50 bucks to outsource that task? We, we get so caught up in the fact that we just want to hold on to that money and, and, and not spend another dime more than what we, we feel comfortable spending. And that's probably one of the biggest differences that I would say if, if you were to ask me to say, what makes you different than your peer group? I would tell you that beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's I recognize opportunity and I do not even slow down to think through it. If I see, it's a natural instinct of mine that if I see an opportunity or something that I even think could produce money, I'm going to go 90 to nothing to try and seize that opportunity before anybody else can. What does that mean? Well, it means that I have a lot of dumb ideas that I cut bait on and leave really quickly. But it also means that in many cases, I'm the first one in on something and I capitalize long before anybody else even realizes what I'm doing. And I think that that's one of the areas where a lot of agents miss out and I'm not chastising them for it. I, I think that because of the nature of the industry we're in, people tend to be conservative and risk averse, but you can only analyze something so many times before you just have to say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go out and try this. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, then I won't do it anymore. And yeah, I'll maybe have lost a little bit of money in the process, but at least I've validated one way or the other, whether or not it makes sense. And I think that with all of the, I think that 
with all of the technologies that are out there, this is something that I've noticed with a ton of the agencies that I talk with, and that is that they've been burnt, right? They, they get the shiny object and they feel like they got screwed over by it. Well, here's a newsflash. Probably wasn't the actual product as much as it was the person that either didn't execute it correctly, didn't attempt to execute it at all. You know, that's that's what I see because you know it's not a secret. We're huge fans of Zywave. We love Zywave. We don't get paid any money to say that. We make a lot of money because we use their product and we use it, you know, in a way that a lot of other people don't. But if you were to post in some of these back channel forums on social media asking people their thoughts about Zywave, half of the people are going to tell you it's great. The other half are going to tell you that it's a ripoff and they suck and you should never do business with them. Well, guess what? The people who say that either didn't use the product right or they never should have bought the product to begin with because it wasn't a fit for what they were trying to do. It's never the product, man. I say this all the time. It is never the product. It is always the person. These products are there. It's how we execute them you know, to, to determine whether or not they're ultimately going to lead us to be more successful. Yeah, I agree with you 100%, especially on that Zywave piece. And I've seen comments about it. You know, some of these agents out there, and I guess I'm guilty of it too. You see the shiny object, you go in head first, put your credit card info in and, and buy the product. And then something else shiny comes along that maybe is of more importance to you and you back table, you know, back burner that. And then three months goes by and you're like, what the hell is this bill coming out each month? So, you know, one of the things that I do here in our agency is I am like the crash dummy. I, I test everything out first and I try and break it um, basically before we implement it into the agency. And I think that's the biggest thing is maybe dedicating someone in your agency, regardless of the size of your agency, whether you're a two person shop or a 200 person shop, you know, some kind of technology person where they're constantly adapting and changing and seeing what's out there. Um, because one of the biggest things, like you said, Tarmica, you know, I was a little bit reluctant at first. I'm like, I've seen other commercial comparative raiders. They were all, you know, excuse my French, but they were, they were trash. They were garbage. They were things that only had maybe three or four companies that we were appointed with. And we have dozens of companies, you know? So, um, when I did try it out, it was easy to use. Uh, it blocks the markets. It gets the quotes. It does what it says it's going to do. I knew my team was going to like it. They were a little bit reluctant and now they're using it full tilt on all small commercial stuff. So I think the biggest takeaway from that, um, what you said there, Dave, is basically have someone that just is that crash dummy test person, you know, and just try it out. Make sure it fits what you need. Zywave's a, a product for people like you that want to go after that middle market type business and, and use the, the mod master and all that stuff. A smaller personal lines agency is not going to get um, out of it what they want, you know, Hey, I'm going to start trying to do commercial lines. Let me go spend a thousand bucks a month on Zyway. That's, that's not going to work. No, it's never going to work. I mean, they'll never use it. And I mean, I've, it, it's just, it, it's crazy, man. I, I can tell you that like, so to piggyback on what I said before, I recognize opportunity and I go after it, um, pretty much with reckless abandon. But at the same time, if it's something major, I don't do that. So I recognize four years ago when I launched Florida risk that I needed to have a good CRM and I had done all my due diligence. I had looked at Salesforce with both Pardot and Marketo. I looked at Zoho. I looked at HubSpot and I had, I had basically made the decision 
when the time comes, HubSpot is who I'm going to run with. This is the CRM that I think would best suit what I'm trying to accomplish. And I didn't go out and buy it that day. Like I worked for two and a half years before we ever put HubSpot in. We didn't even put HubSpot in until January of 2019. I think part of what agencies should be doing is they should look to see. This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast. This is your host, David, and co-host, Kyle. We are actually sitting live in the same recording place today for the first time weird. ever. Yeah, it is kind of weird, actually. And we have with us today a legend in more than his own mind in New England circles, in the real estate investment community on a regional and a national basis, Mr. Justin Sloan. Justin, it's cool to have you today, man. Thanks for having me, David. And hey, Kyle, how you doing today? Good, man. What's happening? How are you? Oh, good. Just living the dream over here, selling some insurance. There you go. So, yeah, it's a funny story. The reason Kyle's here in the same office with me today is because we had a loss control visit um, via the phone, like a, a loss control survey, I should say, not a visit, because we have an opportunity for one of those amusement facilities in Florida that has those massive slingshot rides. <laughs> where they pull the slingshot down and let it go, and then they just fire people up into the air. It's absolutely insane to watch this thing operate up close. The size of the cords on it are so nuts. I, I don't know if you caught the other part of that, too. They also have a ride called the Vomitron. <laughs> no, I didn't. Know. <laughs> Ridiculous. They, okay. You'll so not, You will not catch me on anything called the Vomitron. No, probably not. I mean – it's just you're asking for it at that point. So that's what we've been working on. We we were working on talking to the workers' comp people about that. And unless these guys get on the ride after hours and claim that they were testing it for some reason, it's really not a terrible workers' comp exposure for the place. The go-karts are the worst. That's right. that's the bigger issue. Yeah. You start dealing with go-karts, you know, little Susie doesn't hit the brake, she hits the gas and then she runs over a guy and mangles his ankle and you've got a nasty indemnity claim. I hate Susie. She's the worst driver ever. <laughs> so talk a little bit about what's going on with you man i mean you tell everybody sort of your, what your backstory is um you know i know what it is but that doesn't mean that 
that they do. You've sort of had a little bit of a sampling on where you've where you've been in the insurance world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, my background, basically, I went to college here in Connecticut at Central Connecticut State University, graduated with a um, bachelor BS in finance. So I graduated in 2008, and everybody knows what happened in 2008 with the financial crisis. So my aspirations were to sell stocks on Wall Street and that whole you know, story, but that uh, quickly fizzled out. So um, I went to a career fair at college and insurance was not on my radar whatsoever, but I needed to find something stable. And I was approached by a ENS wholesaler, excess and surplus lines wholesaler out of West Hartford, Connecticut, um, by the name of SH Smith and company. So I started there, didn't take any, uh, summer break or anything, jumped right in back in 2008. Um, started as an insurance technician, basically just the grunt in the uh, company. Everybody would just throw me all the stuff they didn't want to do. So I really dove headfirst into insurance, got licensed very quickly, um, worked my way up over seven years. It took about three years uh, to get into underwriting. And I was the, basically almost the head of the small commercial binding authority division of our team. I saw about 32 to 3,500 small commercial accounts across my desk every day. Um, so I saw a lot of volume from insurance agents all over the country, pretty heavy here in the Northeast, but we had a pretty big presence in Ohio and some other states out in the Midwest. But um, long story short, I had a pretty bad car accident in the summer of 2012. Um, I don't want to say a near-death experience, but it was pretty close to it, as close as you can get to it. Um, and that really opened up my eyes. I always had goals and aspirations of being a, a business owner. And um, I kind of rode it out for another year at, at that company um, and started up my own first scratch agency. And I think it was 2013, somewhere around there, 2014 maybe. Um, so I started that first agency independent agency. Um, we started with no companies, no, no accounts, nothing like that. Worked it up to about, we had about 13 appointments after I left after three years, sold my agency to my business partner and then started up this scratch agency, um, BSP insurance out of Meriden, Connecticut, um, where I'm an owner as well. And we've been, we're at three years in right now. And as you kind of alluded to in your introduction, my niche is real estate investment insurance. So uh, my clients are on a national level. We're licensed in about 40 so, 40 plus or minus states. So we're actively just building out that niche. Um, we do have a pretty heavy book of what I call generalist type insurance because that's kind of how we started. But we're starting to focus more on niches this year um, and some micro niches as well. So that's kind of my story. So here's a question that I have for you because I'm a big believer in that you have to be able to go deep in certain things. And, you know, you'll hear everybody say the riches are in the niches. You, you, and you definitely need more than than one, in my opinion, um, you know, to, to be successful. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. What point of inflection did you determine that it was time for you to start really drilling down? I think every single one of us, at least the overwhelming majority starts our agency as a generalist. And there's at some point you figure out, okay, here's, 
here's here's where I'm really having success. I really probably need to explore this more. It's kind of almost like an evolution of an agency. I think there's probably that tipping point for everybody, but I'm interested in, you know, when you decided, okay, this this makes sense for us to go down this path. Yeah, sure. So I think there was two points. One actually was when I was a wholesaler. Um, I was working with, like I said, ind- independent insurance agents across the country. Um, and being in the small commercial space, I saw a lot of like flip properties, properties that were distressed or needed some work, needed some renovations. And, you know, they're, they're um, very, very low premiums, very quick deals, you know, average premium, thousand, two thousand bucks, whatever. Um, but what I noticed is a lot of insurance agents didn't realize the coverage form and the need for certain coverages on these deals. You know, a lot of these agents were sending me, hey, can you beat this? And it's like basic perils, ACV, da 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 da. And it was just garbage. And I'm like, why are you giving this to people? So that was number one. Number two was um, about, I would say about 18 months, maybe even two years ago, um, I took on a client who owns a property management company, also has their own portfolio of properties. Uh, they were referred to me from a local Allstate agent that said, hey, I can't do these flip properties. So I started talking with them. And about six months after that, he chirped in my ear, hey, don't say anything, but I am putting an offer in to buy the Connecticut, Connecticut Real Estate Investors Association, which is the fourth largest real estate investor association in the entire country. Every single state has at least one association. Um, some states have more than one. So when he told me that, he said, listen, the reason why I'm telling you this is I want to kick out the current vendor. They have vendors at each event. Insurance was one of them. So they they kicked out the guy that was there, brought me in. Um, he knew I did a good job with his stuff. But once that happened, it was just like bling, bling, you know, blinking lights in my face like, hey, Justin, here's here you go. Here's a sign like you need to go head first into it. So when that occurred, I went to all my markets that I was writing with saying, hey, I got to do some sort of affinity program or I got to build out something that's custom to these people. So I stumbled upon a I think they're an MGU. I think they're out of Georgia or Florida, somewhere down near you. And uh, they had a pretty quick quote bind issue program, special perils, everything I wanted, no inspections, quote bind issue in three minutes or so. And we just been cranking with them. I mean, we're writing a couple policies a day. Um, the average premium is $1,017. But the point is, you know, we turn this into a systematic process. It's very low touches by my agency, very low servicing. And we end up getting the rest of the account. So well, that's the only way that would work, yeah. right? I mean, on that kind of an average policy premium, you can't be handling it a bunch of times or having to service it a ton or you're dead in the water on, on trying to make a profit. What um, You'd mentioned micro niches. What What's a micro niche for somebody who might not know what a micro niche is? Sure. Yeah, I know you had uh, Mr. Bob Klinger on the other day. He's a, a great guy to use, and I know he spoke about it as well. So a niche is basically – uh, for me, it's real estate investment insurance, but a, a micro niche could be uh, just the flip properties or just condo associate. Maybe condo association is not even a micro niche. Maybe the property manager that just manages condo associations, you know, any of the services or industries that help my niche is kind of like a micro niche. So we're getting a lot of you know, general contractors, we're getting a lot of um, handymen and stuff like that. So we're building out little tiny niches 
inside of our main niche. Um, and this didn't happen on purpose. It was more by accident. A lot of my real estate investors don't just own real estate investment properties. They have other businesses they have. They have other people that need to comply with their insurance requirements per their contract. And they know that I know what I'm talking about. So I'm getting referrals for all of these ancillary services. So the micro niche piece is not as big as the main niche, but that's because we haven't built it out yet. We're bringing on some new producers that we're trying to do that with. And um, I know there's a gentleman out in California that brings on producers and requires them to start inside the agency with at least two or three niches and says, listen, I'm going to pay you on niche business only. And if you do any generalist type um, accounts, I'm not going to pay you. And I know, David, at your agency, if someone brings in an account and it doesn't generate 5000 of income, you don't even want to look at it, let alone you know compensate them. So that's something that we're starting to pursue as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, man. I was just on the phone with a guy or a Zoom meeting with a guy that was <laughs> he's in Killing Commercial and he had his producers in the room with him and then immediately says, Explain to these guys why you don't want them to make anything, you know, get paid on anything $5,000 or less. And I mean, you know, my thought, part, thought process is this you got to work really hard to like, if you're out, if you're a producer, and you're outside prospecting, you're working really hard to find an account that you can't get 5,000 in revenue out of. Now, I'm not saying, and it's important for people to understand this, but the example that I used in sales meeting um, for our people here was a plumbing company that I brought in. And the plumbing company, we I, I brought in the auto. Well, the auto was only $2,800 in revenue. and there, you know, people want to know, well, it's not $5,000. No, I'm not saying it has to be $5,000 this exact second. Show me how you're going to get to $5,000. Well, this was a, a great example. It was only $2,800 in revenue with the auto only. But when I started drawing spokes out and then naming the different opportunities like life insurance, buy, sell, you know, buy, sell agreement, um, you know, the workers' comps, the general liability, the umbrella, the employee benefits. Uh, can we get revenue by referring to one of our payroll partners? This thing turned into like $23,000 in revenue. And I think so many times people get caught up in the fact 5000 in revenue seems like it's a lot per account. And they're looking at, well, I need to bring in a policy that's like $50,000 in premium. I don't have those growing on trees. It's not what we're talking about. There's a lot of ways you can get to $5,000 in revenue. So, you know, I personally don't want to be anywhere close to five grand, but at the same time, for somebody who's just starting out, it's not as much of a negative incentive to go after bigger stuff as it is a positive incentive to teach them how to round an account that they're working on. It's pretty hard not to get to five grand if you have two or three things you can pull from. Right. I think the only ones that that have come across my way have been stuff that have been referrals from payroll partners where we're just doing the comp form initially, and maybe they're a smaller startup company and haven't had coverage before, um, you know, things of that nature. It's it, like you said, it is hard to prospect an account that's not going to at some point be at the 5k mark. It's, I mean, there's not a ton of business out there that's that you're going to prospect that's like that. No, it has to be an accident. Nobody's right. intentionally going to go after that. Totally. So, um, Justin, what do you, what kind of automation do you have in place, you know, for uh, some of these? 
micro niche and niche accounts to, you know, kind of keep your hands off of it as much as possible. Yeah. So about, I would say a year, a little over a year ago, I went full force with Capsule 5. They're um, an automation company. They basically, his, his background, Josh uh, Hinman's his name, he's the CEO of the company. His background was at Infusionsoft and he left there and really focused in the insurance space and helping us with um, account rounding, new business sales and servicing and stuff like that. So basically what I did was we're on Pipedrive. That's our CRM. Okay. Um, Hawksoff is our agency management system. And right now what we're doing with them is every similar to what you guys are using with HubSpot. Obviously HubSpot is Pipedrive on steroids, but it, it fits our need. Um, <clears throat> so when a new business comes in the door, I have a template. It's on my iPhone. It's on my desktop. The team members have it. You know, thanks for reaching out. Here's a link to our website. Fill out this form. That form mirrors exactly what our um, program requires for underwriting to get a quote. So basically, you know, if they had an open API, we'd be able to integrate it. Right now, we do have the manual entry, but that's the only work we really do is entering about 18 pieces of data. It takes about two minutes to do. Um, and then what happens is we put that into the CRM, um, does the automated quote follow-up, things of that nature. In that email, it's a template as well. At the bottom, there's a video explaining step-by-step -step instructions, how to issue the policy, what to do after binding, how to grab their own policy documents. So it's very hands-off. Um, it allows a lot of, I, I wouldn't say self-servicing, but allows them to at least upload the data and then we can push it to the insurance company with a click of the button. So we try, even though the average premium is only about $1,017, what we're finding is it's a bigger piece of a bigger puzzle. They usually have a buy and hold portfolio um, and they also have other flip properties going on. They typically need general contractors insurance, an umbrella policy, and then obviously they have the personal lines as well. And also most of these people own other businesses. So my average clients about seven policies uh, at a minimum for, you know, a policy count, so to speak. So in regards to the automation, though, it's really that CRM that's getting it to the finish line and then it's nurturing them with um, a welcome campaign. And then we use it also for the renewal process. It sends out an automated text, automated email about two months in advance because we call every single person uh, um, prior to the renewal and we just do like a quick review with them. So what we do is we put all the questions we have into an email um, in a landing page, they fill it out, and then we have a call about what they filled out. Um, so we have a pretty good renewal retention with that automation, and it streamlines the whole process and reduces the amount of time that we spend on the phone with them at renewal. Um, before we were spending about 20 minutes, now it's closer to about 10. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I think automation automation's huge. I think it's a place where a lot of agents end up getting distracted um you know me especially i'm easily distracted to begin with but um you know i can tell you that when you start putting automations into an agency that's had nothing prior you can go down a lot of rabbit holes what advice would you give if, if i was an agency out there that was looking to dip my toe into automating my processes where would you tell me to start i would start either with a welcome campaign or new business sales. I think our biggest 
pitfall starting up. And even though this was my second agency and I learned a lot of lessons was again, just new business prospecting and make sure that every single lead that comes in the door is getting callbacks and emails back. I was talking to my business partner, Chris Paradiso, and I don't remember the exact number, but my mind was blown. I think he said something like 60% or something. It was very high. I remember this 60% of all like online leads that come into an agency don't get quotes. Yes, they'll get a call back or whatever, but they might not get quotes. My mind was blown by that. If you do, if you have leads coming in through your website, there should be some kind of automated email. It should be uploaded to the CRM automatically. So I think the new business sales is probably the biggest thing because it helps you stay on top of it. Uh, Pipe drive is pretty good. I don't get money or compensated for promoting them by any means. And I know HubSpot's great too. And there's a bunch out there, but pipe drive, just the view. And I know HubSpot looks like it as well. Um, just easy to see. It tells me when I'm, you know, all my tasks and activities for the day. It, it tells me what other team members are doing and not doing, I guess is the biggest thing. How many calls are made, how many emails are sent, service requests, stuff like that. So, you know, the new business sales is probably the biggest thing, especially for uh, somebody that's trying to just tiptoe in. Um, because that automation piece is a, a pleasant experience for our prospects. Um, following up on quotes is huge, you know. How do you how do you use that automation and the stuff that you're able to get from it to coach your guys? Can you elaborate on your question, Kyle? Reporting, I think, yeah. is where he's going. Like, right. how do you use that reporting? Yeah, so um, just marking deals won or lost, and the reason that they're um, lost is a big thing because. I, I have um, I usually send it out every month or every other month, uh, the next 90 days of business that we didn't get the year prior. And the reason why that's a huge thing, especially for our producers right now with the coronavirus and everything going on. Maybe it's slow for certain producers, but I'm able to be like, hey, look, it, here's a dozen accounts that you worked on last August. And here's the reasons why you didn't get them. Let's pick up the phone. Let's call them again. We already have all the data points. We just need it to be updated and confirm it's accurate. And then, you know, I call it mining for gold, you know, and it's it's things that they were willing to give us already. Why not go back after it? I think that's huge. Obviously, you can probably do this in an a, uh, agency management system as well. But the CRM literally run report, lost deals. Here's the time frame you want to look at. And there's your report. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a huge proponent of the re the reporting capabilities, and I mean, I've I've gone on record multiple times that I think agencies are always con they're consistently griping about we need new business, we need new business, we need new business. My comment to that is that's because they're running their business like an insurance agency. Until you actually go sell a policy and you have to administer that policy, you're not an agency. You're a sales organization, period. You're out, you're calling on people, you're selling deals. Yeah, you have to be in a licensed agency to handle the insurance transaction and to talk about it. But, you know, the, the facetious comment that I always make is go to a, go to a Fortune 500 company with a high-performing sales staff and tell me how many of them are using an agency management system to run that sales staff. Like, nobody. So why are we doing that inside of an agency? You know, I think that agencies missed the boat because by and large, you know, I don't mean to make a blanket statement, but experience tells me that a lot of agency owners are cheap. 
You know, they don't want to spend the money. They don't look at the technology as an investment. They look at it as an expense line. And that couldn't be further from the truth. That would be like going out and saying, well, I'd like to hire a producer, but man, I don't want to have to pay him anything. I just want the new business to come in without giving them anything. It's no different when you have a CRM with automations that can do what needs to be done. And, you know, I think that for me, having the ability to log into a dashboard and see things visually makes it very easy to see where we have bottlenecks in our process. If I've got a producer that has a bunch of deals that say waiting on appointment to be set, pretty sure they have a hard time getting appointments set. Let's figure out what's going on. How many times have you called this person? How many times have you done a marketing drop to drop by and see them? You know, have you sent them a handwritten note? Like, what's the interaction level? And then we can drill down. We can listen to, we can listen to the phone calls from Lightspeed to find out whether or not, you know, they're stumbling when they're trying to set the appointment. Are they using a good script? What does that look like? But it makes it much much easier to to manage a sales team when you have that tool. And, you know, I did a, a article on it before about treating technology as a team member. You have to, man. I don't view HubSpot as being an expense line. I view HubSpot as an investment that has basically allowed me to replace four physical bodies, not because I don't want the people in here, but because it's actually going to provide a better work product than a human would as long as it's programmed correctly. And I think that's where there's a huge disconnect with a lot of agencies out there is they just don't get the value of having a CRM as a tool for the sales process. And it's, you know, look, we can go back and forth all day about this. We're very much aware that there's not really anything that integrates with an AMS. Although I did hear that apparently there's a direct integration between Salesforce an applied epic that was just released. That's a game changer if it actually works the way that I would like to see it work. Yeah, I, I do know, I'm not gonna name drop, but I do know a CRM that's integrated right now with um, Hawksoft, which we're on. However, it's backwards. The data gets pushed from Hawksoft to the CRM and not the other way around. And the problem with that is the Hawksoft the data points that we're putting in is not exactly how we use it in the CRM. Hawksoft in every agency management system is more for a data, <clears throat> excuse me, a data download from Ivan's. So when we put all the data into, let's say travelers issue a policy, the next day we come in and what travelers has in their system downloads our agency management system, it's already too late. The sales already won, right? It should be coming from the CRM and then get pushed over to the agency management system. But the reasoning behind that and the logic behind that is um, privacy, protection, cyber, et cetera, et cetera. So, and I get it, but until everybody starts to loosen up and let things do what they normally do with the open APIs, we're still gonna be playing this game, the chicken or the egg type game or whatever analogy you wanna use. But it's just getting to the point now where it's 2020, guys. We're going on 2021. You know, all the other industries, the banking industry, you know, things like that, they, they're already caught up. We're still behind the curve. We're behind the eight ball here trying to figure this out. But, you know, we're making some strides. We do right now, I think we're using about 18 to 20 different um, softwares that are outside of our management system because there's no one golden bullet management system that has everything integrated that you can do. 
if there is, please let me know what it is and I'll give you uh, my firstborn child to, to get that product because I do know about Neon and what Seth Zaremba is doing and stuff like that. But again, there's nothing that today I can go and buy on the marketplace that can do everything that you, David, and I need for my agency. No, I'm with you 100%. I mean, it's it's really at the point where we don't even touch Hawksoft until the download happens. Yeah. Unless it's a piece of business that's excess and surplus lines, and we need to go into Hawksoft to create the accord form to do the submission to the wholesaler, we're not even putting anything in there until it downloads. We're putting everything into the CRM and, and running the, that entire process through the CRM. Then when the policy's bound, the download comes through, we match it up and reconcile everything to make sure that it's legit and that the data is tight. And then we go on about our business. Um, otherwise, if we put that into Hawksoft, my concern is, and what I've experienced, half the time you get downloads, depending on how the carrier transmits that through Ivan's, it wipes out what you put in anyhow. And yeah. you have to go back in and clean it back up. So you're doing double and triple work. So it's easier for us just to run the agency out of the CRM, use Hawksoft for accounting, producer reporting, and you know certificates that we don't have, you know that, that have special language that people can't use our portal for. But aside from that, man, I mean, I, I just I don't really see any value in engaging the agency management system until you absolutely have to. Yeah, I agree. There's a gentleman by the name of Mike Fusco. Um, I believe he's out of California. He's San Diego. A, I, rem- yeah, I know. There you go. He uh, he and I hopped on a call because he's on Pipe Drive as well. And oh my God, I was like literally smiling ear to ear because he basically uses Pipedrive as almost his AMS. He's built out all these different templates and automations and everything, like the data points that he puts into the CRM. These things are so easy to manipulate. You can put any data point you want in, um, even consolidate commissions and stuff like that. So the days of you know spending thousands and thousands of dollars a year on an AMS inevitably is probably going to become obsolete or archaic in the near future. Um, and, you know, with things that Neon and Seth's doing, trying to make Ivan's almost obsolete, um, you know, we're making strides in the right direction. And I can't wait for that day to occur. How much stuff are you doing right now? I mean, you're you're relatively tech savvy. Um, you know, what? how much have you explored some of the Tarmicas, Semsi, some of these uh, interfaces that are being developed to not only make the quoting process easier as a commercial agency where it operates like a rater, but also having a client-facing widget that you can put on your site where they can basically get bindable quotes in real time and never even have to mess with your staff. Have you explored any of that stuff yet? Yeah, like I said, we're using about 18 different software applications right now. Tarmica is definitely one of them. Um, that's a great product for those of you that don't know. It's a commercial lines comparative rater. Um, there are other ones out there, but what we found about this one is they're um, focused specifically on the independent insurance agent. They're not focused on the carriers or anything like that. They have our voice, our opinion, and they go out to the marketplace and they're starting to get a lot of the insurance companies signed up, Liberty Mutual. Um, I think Travelers is in there now. Um, there's just a CNA. There's a bunch of them coming on. And inevitably, I think if you're not, if you're an insurance company and you're not appointed with Tarmica in the next 12 to 18 months, 
you might as well not even be in the small commercial space because it's just like, you know, if you have a personal lines comparative rater, think about all the companies that you have appointments with that don't have integration with your comparative rater. How much business does your agency write with them? I guarantee it's less than 5%, uh, maybe 10 if you're being generous. But we have some companies that aren't in our comparative rater for personal lines and they're an afterthought, you know, and it's unfortunate in the year 2020 that, you know, maybe they don't want to pay the integration or whatever type of fees are associated with it. But, you know, the commercial lines, Raider's huge for our agency. Um, we do a lot with uh, Sales MSG, which is a texting service. It's integrated with PipeDrive. Um, obviously, DocuSign we're on right now as well. That's a huge uh, time saver for us. And probably a lot of the other ones that you guys are currently using as well. Um, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole just because I'm trying to keep this time uh, under an hour for you, David. But, you know, I, I think the t biggest takeaway from this conversation that we're having is, you know, whether your agency has been in business 100 years or one day, you know, look at this as an investment. Like you said, don't look at it like an overhead and expense. Look at it as an investment that's going to give you a positive ROI. I mean, pipe drive, I don't even know what we pay. I think it's like 100 bucks, 200 bucks a month, something like that. But the amount of hours that it saves my agency, and yes, it does maybe replace one or two people in my agency, but those people are now doing other things inside of my agency as opposed to following up on quotes and chasing down people on renewals. It's doing more of that automation piece that's very low, you know, cost per hour type job where they could be focusing on higher level things like maybe remarketing renewals or calling on referrals and thanking them for the business, things that are more meaningful that you can't really truly automate. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think one of the things is, and I play devil's advocate a lot when I'm talking with other agency owners, but one of the first things I want any of these people to do is define what they'll be willing to work for, for an hour. What's your hourly rate? If you tell me your hourly rate's 200 bucks and you're busy spending time on something that you could outsource for 25 to $50 an hour, you're losing money. Why aren't you doing what you can do to get your $200 an hour and free yourself up by spending the 25 to 50 bucks to outsource that task? We, we get so caught up in the fact that we just want to hold on to that money and, and, and not spend another dime more than what we, we feel comfortable spending. And that's probably one of the biggest differences that I would say if, if you were to ask me to say, what makes you different than your peer group? I would tell you that beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's I recognize opportunity and I do not even slow down to think through it. If I see, it's a natural instinct of mine that if I see an opportunity or something that I even think could produce money, I'm going to go 90 to nothing to try and seize that opportunity before anybody else can. What does that mean? Well, it means that I have a lot of dumb ideas that I cut bait on and leave really quickly. But it also means that in many cases, I'm the first one in on something and I capitalize long before anybody else even realizes what I'm doing. And I think that that's one of the areas where a lot of agents miss out and I'm not chastising them for it. I, I think that because of the nature of the industry we're in, people tend to be conservative and risk averse, but you can only analyze something so many times before you just have to say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go out and try this. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, then I won't do it anymore. 
And yeah, I maybe have lost a little bit of money in the process, but at least I've validated one way or the other, whether or not it makes sense. And I think that with all of the, I think that with all of the technologies that are out there, this is something that I've noticed with a ton of the agencies that I talk with. And that is that they've been burnt, right? They, they get the shiny object and they feel like they got screwed over by it. Well, here's a newsflash. Probably wasn't the actual product as much as it was the person that either didn't execute it correctly, didn't attempt to execute it at all. You know, that's, that's what I see because, you know, it's not a secret. We're huge fans of Zywave. We love Zywave. We don't get paid any money to say that. We make a lot of money because we use their product and we use it, you know, in a way that a lot of other people don't. But if you were to post in some of these back channel forums on social media, asking people their thoughts about Zywave, Half of the people are going to tell you it's great. The other half are going to tell you that it's a ripoff and they suck and you should never do business with them. Well, guess what? The people who say that either didn't use the product right or they never should have bought the product to begin with because it wasn't a fit for what they were trying to do. It's never the product, man. I say this all the time. It is never the product. It is always the person. These products are there. It's how we execute them you know, to, to determine whether or not they're ultimately going to lead us to be more successful. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent, especially on that Zywave piece. And I've seen comments about it, you know, some of these agents out there, and I guess I'm guilty of it too. You see the shiny object, you go in head first, put your credit card info in and, and buy the product. And then something else shiny comes along that maybe is of more importance to you and you back table, you know, back burner that. And then three months goes by and you're like, what the hell is this bill coming out each month? So, you know, one of the things that I do here in our agency is I am like the crash dummy. I, I test everything out first and I try and break it um, basically before we implement it into the agency. And I think that's the biggest thing is maybe dedicating someone in your agency, regardless of the size of your agency, whether you're a two person shop or a 200 person shop, you know, some kind of technology person where they're constantly adapting and changing and seeing what's out there. Um, because one of the biggest things, like you said, Tarmica, you know, I was a little bit reluctant at first. I'm like, I've seen other commercial comparative Raiders. They were all, you know, excuse my French, but they were, they were trash. They were garbage. They were things that only had maybe three or four companies that we were appointed with. And we have dozens of companies, you know? So, um, when I did try it out, it was easy to use. Uh, it blocks the markets. It gets the quotes. It does what it says it's going to do. I knew my team was going to like it. They were a little bit reluctant, and now they're using it full tilt on all small commercial stuff. So I think the biggest takeaway from that, um, what you said there, Dave, is basically have someone that just is that crash dummy test person, you know, and just try it out. Make sure it fits what you need. Zywave is a, a product for people like you that want to go after that middle market type business and, and use the, the mod master and all that stuff. A smaller personal lines agency is not going to get um, out of it, what they want, you know, Hey, I'm going to start trying to do commercial lines. Let me go spend a thousand bucks a month on Zywave. That's, that's not going to work. No, it's never going to work. I mean, they'll never use it. And I mean, I've, it, it's just, it, it's crazy, man. I, I can tell you that like, so to piggyback on what I said before, I recognize opportunity and I go after it, um, pretty much with reckless abandon. But at the same time, if it's something major, I don't do that. So I recognize four years ago when I launched Florida Risk 
that I needed to have a good CRM. And I had done all my due diligence. I had looked at Salesforce with both Pardot and Marketo. I looked at Zoho. I looked at HubSpot. And I had I had basically made the decision when the time comes, HubSpot is who I'm going to run with. This is the CRM that I think would best suit what I'm trying to accomplish. And I didn't go out and buy it that day. Like I worked for two and a half years before we ever put HubSpot in. We didn't even put HubSpot in until January of 2019. I think part of what agencies should be doing is they should look to see what's my ultimate goal. What's my ultimate need and what's the product that's going to get me there? Maybe there's something in the interim that I can use, which I used Zoho, the CRM plus for $60 a month until, you know, it was time for me to, to use HubSpot for killing commercial an extra two minutes. I use Entreport. HubSpot would be complete overkill for that. But I also know that I need a CRM to, to manage that process. So Entreport made a lot of sense for us. You have to look at it. Don't you know, the other thing is don't go do something just because your buddy who has an agency or somebody you see posting in a group is using it and thinks it's great. That, that means absolutely nothing for how it's going to operate in the environment that you put it in. I, I think I see that so many times. I mean, think about it, man. We could be in, in one of the Facebook groups in number one question. What agency management system do you recommend? <laughs> what website provider? <laughs> yeah, 50 freaking people jump on the thread and answer it. Nobody says, uh, out of curiosity, what's the size and shape of your agency? Are you life only? Are you life and health? Do you do just benefits? Are you property and casualty? Do you do middle market, small commercial, just personal lines? I mean, you're getting all of these answers with absolute confidence as to this is what the best agency management system is, yet the makeup of every single one of the agencies that those people represent is completely different. Yeah. I agree 100%. It's like asking what type of car should I buy? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you have a family, you single, you know. So the correct answer to that is an Audi R8 Spider. All right, fair enough. My wife would kill me, but all right. No, but you know, at the end of the day, I think it's to each his own. They need to really look in the mirror and like you said, kind of reverse engineer what they're trying to achieve. If you're trying to achieve, hey, I want to really hammer down on my claims process, make sure I have good automation, good follow-up, stuff like that then you want to invest in a CRM that's able to do that. You know, a lot of these CRMs out there are easy to manipulate the data points and, and put in whatever you want. So with our CRM right now, Pipedrive, like I said, new business automation, um, welcome packet campaign, email campaign, which is backed by Infusionsoft. Um, we just built out the renewal process. That's working pretty well. We're working on the claims process next. So, you know, I, I have a pen and a pad. I write down basically day one, day two, day three, what I want this process to look like on each day and how that customer experience goes. And then once I have that process built out, then I go in and try and implement it. And if my CRM is not the right one, I might have to spend that extra 100 bucks, 200 bucks a month for the shinier, fancier one that maybe I, I didn't need you know last year. So um, I think the biggest takeaway from this, so Dave, probably... Just look at what you're using now and talk to your team. See what internally frustrates them. What's slowing them down? What's bogging them down? What can be automated? A lot of stuff nowadays can be automated to a certain capacity. It just needs to make sure that everybody buys in. A lot of people, the agents like you and me as owners, we might love something. It might work for us. But the team, if they don't buy into it, 
you're paying a, a big price tag for something that no one's using and not implementing. So you just need to have buy-in from the team as well is probably a big point. So you brought up client experience from, from your customer's perspective. What do you think um, makes you different? Yeah, sure. So um, I think probably one of the biggest ones, and I talk about this all the time, is our um, quote proposal process. We send out custom videos. I think David does this as well and some of the other agents that have been on here. I know um, we do quote video proposals where we basically take all the data off of their current policy documents, put it into a side-by-side analysis of what we're offering, um, and then we present that via a video proposal. Um, where we walk them through basically where their gaps in coverage are, where we suggest making changes to their policies, or in some cases, maybe even redact, not redacting, but restricting some coverages. Maybe they're overinsured to a certain piece. So, you know, at the end of the day, especially when coronavirus really came to full force back in March, um, a lot of other people started to buy into this process because, you know, we can't meet face to face. Right now, if you come to my agency, you have to, you know, get your temperature checked, wash your hands, put your mask on, sit behind this, you know, glass. It's just, it's awkward, you know. So I've been doing video proposals now for a few years and we have wild success with it. Clients love it. Um, it usually takes about 10 minutes to do a video on like a home auto umbrella, commercial lines, depending on the size of account, 15, 20 minutes max, um, you know, sometimes shorter. But at the end of the day, I think that experience differentiates us from other agencies, specifically here in the Northeast. There's not a lot of agents that I know of. I know Mike Crowley up in uh, Syracuse doing it, a few other people in the area. But, you know, when I'm competing neck or toe-to-toe with another agent, whether they're a captive or an independent, I guarantee you no one's giving that prospect that type of experience where I'm actually ripping apart their current policy. I'd love for you to be my client, but if you stay where you are, at least I gave you suggestions and you're going to remember me a year or two from down the road when you have that claim and your rates go up or you need some expert advice. Um, So we're becoming known in our space in this area as a little bit tech forward from that capacity. Why do you think more agencies aren't doing that? They look at it um, as a, a time killer, but I wholeheartedly disagree. Um, I think people just our fear of being on video, you know, in front of a camera, not knowing what to do. I mean, I, I get messages daily and I have a a template where I, I send it Facebook messenger, text, whatever, you know, I was on the insurance guys podcast. I wrote an article about it. I, I send them my video proposal. I literally put it on a silver platter for these agents. And still I follow up a few months later, Hey, how's the video proposals going? Oh, you know, I haven't gotten around to it. You know, it's just one of those things where people want to do something, but they just can't find the time to do it or they're overwhelmed. Or I think it's just that first step, um, kind of like asking your, you know, your, a girl that you like in grade school on a first date. It's, it's very overwhelming. Um, and, and people just feel reluctant, but you know, at the end of the day, I would say to everybody out there, just give it a whirl because right now the game's changing, guys. I don't know if you see it or not, but uh, David, you're sitting here wearing a T-shirt. You know, I I envision you wearing a suit and tie every day, you know, and I'm sitting here. You can't see me, but I'm I'm not dressed up either, you know, and I don't foresee anywhere in the near future where uh, one of my clients is going to want me coming to their homes or going to their business until things start to calm down. So the video proposal is, is something that I highly recommend people look into. 
Two things. Number one, I am not just wearing any T-shirt. I'm wearing the new Florida Skunk Ape T-shirt. <laughs> and <laughs> number two, you know, I think that for the people out there that are not adapting and moving into technology, like video quoting, we haven't skipped a beat with COVID, man. We were already doing this. People ask me all the time, what have you done? Well, nothing, because we already we already did all this. You know, we, we already had a Zoom account. We do video meetings. We do video proposals and all of that. It, it's it, People need to realize it's one thing to be scared about being on video or you know, you're not comfortable narrating it or whatever else. You have to meet people where they want to receive the information that you have for that, period. That's it. They're your client or your prospect. You don't get to dictate to them how they receive your information. If they want you to come to your con their conference room, they're going to invite you to their conference room. If they want a video proposal, you need to be prepared to give them a video proposal. And here's a fun fact. The next generation of people that are going into business and running companies right now aren't shirt and tie, shake their hand, look them in the eye and thank them for the business in the conference room people. They're watch a quote, a video quote at 1130 at night and accept it because that's when they had time to give you their undivided attention. I had to come to the realization that it was much in my best interest for me to deliver this information to people where, where they want to receive it and where it's convenient for them to receive it because they have their undivided attention. If I try and force an in-person meeting in a conference room or whatever else, they're going to be looking at their watch. They're going to have their phone ringing. Secretary's going to pop their head in. I mean, it's all of the other distractions. And the close rate does not suffer because you did a video quote. I mean, you know, you talk about shiny object syndrome. Most people don't know this story, but I hold you 100% responsible for the fact we even do personal lines in my agency. You shamed, <laughs> you shamed me into it in of 2019 because you just said you're an idiot man you've already got all the processes in place just go get the markets and it's it's money that you're leaving on the table and so you know why not right I'm i did still, it i'm still waiting for my check david by the way <laughs> when we start writing a significant amount of that business i will happily send you one or but, some of your uh smoked meats there you go <laughs> there you go you know it's interesting though because um that it's such a smooth process. And if you look at the journey, the buyer's journey for even a normal personal lines account right now, we'll, we'll have people that call in on the phone because they went to the find an agent section of one of our carriers websites. Most of the time they go to a web form on our website. They fill it out. It dumps into HubSpot. HubSpot notifies uh, the assigned person that there's a, a quote request that's there. They can go in, they can see you know, most of the people actually do upload the supporting documents, whether it be a windmit or driver's licenses or whatever. We have everything we need to do. Um, you know, if we have questions, we can call them quick. But then basically we go into quote rush, enter one screen's worth of information. We're scraping the data on the property from the property appraiser website. That all automatically fills in and we push a button to send it to their bot and we're done. Like we can go to a dozen homeowners carriers in a matter of five minutes or less and then move on to the next one and just move on to the next one. So for me, you know, 
I'm at a point where I just need data entry people more than anything else. And then I can put some marketing dollars behind it, send them to the same landing page, whether it be direct mail, display ads, whatever else. But it's literally just data entry at that point. Once the quotes come back, flip it over to an agent, let the agent go in, dial in the ones that make the most sense to look at, to compare, create the video proposal. And with us, especially with um, the fact we use Neoteric Agent for um, the personal line stuff specifically, because I like the fact that it's just a dedicated URL and the differentiator is the email address. So they can go to that URL, enter their email address, and that's what's tied to the proposal. That's awesome. Now I have an, a text automation that says your customized proposal is ready for you. Simply go to this URL, enter your email address, and you'll be able to view it. Should you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. And we're pulling the token from the contact record that was on the form. But that goes via text message and email simultaneously. And it alerts us as quick as they log in and look at it. So we already know we know when it is and isn't being viewed and all of those other things. It's such a smooth process that it's taken me a year to get to be a smooth process for us. But I'm at a point right now where I'm ready to put some, some a chunk of change behind personal lines marketing because we're writing it without even trying right now. Yeah. Kind of going back to your point too, with the whole video proposal thing, people always say to me, and this is probably the biggest takeaway uh, where I have to like fight and stand my ground is Justin, that must be such, so time consuming. You guys, you know, what if you don't win the account? You just spent all this time doing all this work. Well, what's the other option? All right. What's the other option? Face to face. How long are those meetings? Okay. You still got to do the damn quotes, right? You still got to present it in some capacity, whether it's face to face, on the phone. How long are those meetings? How long are those calls? 20, 30 minutes, right? How long are those face to face meetings? Sometimes 30 minutes to an hour, sometimes even longer. If that person wants to count. Call. Yeah. It doesn't even count drive time. Yeah. Drive time too, right? So, you know, you're taking a process that in essence is probably an hour in total, give or take between submission, lead intake, you know, quoting, running MVRs, presenting the quote, um, at least an hour. Whereas we're still doing that front end stuff, but I'm sending over a video where they can't interrupt me. They can't talk. They can't ask questions right away. And I have their undivided attention, which is accessible 24 hours a day. And on top of that, if you're quoting personal lines, the husband might be, you know, stay at home dad, right? And the wife might be out making money, but she might be the decision maker. So at night when they, you know, he might've watched the video during the day, he was the one asking for the info. If I present back to him on a phone call or face to face, and then she's the decision maker, he's trying to regurgitate all this information. He has no clue what he's talking about because he's not a licensed insurance professional. So what we do now is we get emails of all decision makers, okay? So if I'm quoting uh, a large manufacturer or something like that, and I'm sending over a video, I'm asking who's the decision maker in this process? Is it a CFO, CEO, someone on HR, et cetera? I want all their emails because what I'll do is I'll send it to all of them at once simultaneously, and then I'm getting in front of the right audience, right? It's okay if the CEO doesn't watch it because maybe he just needs to be carbon copied in on that email. But at the end of the day, the video is there. It protects us from an ENO standpoint. Yes, I did offer flood. Yes, I did offer quake. Yes, I offered the umbrella, whatever. You know, and a phone call, unless it's recorded, that conversation's nowhere. You know, meeting face to face, that's definitely not recorded anywhere other than what's signed on the application. So the videos just it saves me so much time and just gives that experience that not a lot of agents are doing right now. So 
Yeah, I agree with you. I want to go back to the comment that was made about being uncomfortable with either, you know, the technology or the video recording. Like all I can see in my head right now is Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights with his hands. He doesn't know what to do with them. And he's just on camera. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. With being uncomfortable. And you know, when you're in sales in general, like for a couple of reasons, I mean, number one, it's typically only uncomfortable like the first time you do it. And then after that, it becomes normal and second nature. So you just have to kind of get over it for the first time and then you're good. But when you, when you're uncomfortable, that's the only time when you can actually grow and, and get better at perfecting your craft. And I think, you know, that um, this is the way that this industry is going and, it, and it's kind of, you guys have been in it longer than I have, you know, but I'm interested to, pick your brains as to why why you think this industry is so slow to change and adapt some of these different technologies. Because people make money doing the status quo and always but have. They're not, but they're not going to anymore. It's like if, if they don't adapt and, 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 and move to a more technologically advanced operation, they're, they're not going to survive with, with the current situation that we have in this country yeah no i agree i agree completely i think there's a lot of agencies that are going to end up selling at a discount or be run out of business because they're going to be replaced by whether whether or not it's even another agency amazon or google i say it all the time that you know big data is where the where the real competition is for some of these more main street type agencies but uh you know i don't know man i get people all the time and ask me you know how, how what what script software do you use for your videos i'm like what <laughs> What's what are you talking about? I just put my camera on and let it rip, man. I got so much crap in my head. I just spit out whatever I'm thinking. And if it comes out right, great. If it doesn't, you take it again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing, man. I think we over, again, it goes back to what I said before. A lot of times we just were so worried about uh, making a change or making a, a decision that we overanalyze everything. Yeah, the um, the videos too. Just so you guys know, with the uh, real estate investment insurance, in particular the the flip property program, I have a pre recorded video that I use for all proposals because the quotes are always the same. It's a six page quote proposal. The only thing that's different is the building limit, and then if they decide optional coverage, water backup, ordinance, or law, because they're flip properties. There's no loss of rents coverage stuff like that. So I basically just have a generic template of the quote in front of me saying, hey. Let's walk through this proposal because the coverage is always the same. So, you know, that script, I literally had a hat and I think like a hoodie on or something like that and just did it in one shot. This isn't meant to be all sophisticated, you know, proper etiquette, et cetera. You just want to get the message, the proposal to the person and deliver it in a clear, concise manner so they know what the heck they're buying, right? Because a lot of agents, you just send out your carrier branded quote, the client and try and send a you know, diarrhea of the fingertips, so to speak, clacking away on your keyboard, writing a mini novel about what's included in this quote. No one's going to read that. Mm -mm. They don't like to read. They want to they wanna watch video. They want to understand what they're buying. And they want it to be uh, a short, pleasant experience. That's what my videos do. Yeah, or you attach the quote so if they do want to read it, it's still available to them in addition. I mean, it's not like they, they, you give them a choice at that point. Yeah, exactly. So listen, man, you've been really gracious with your time. We're coming up on an hour. One thing I wanted you to talk about just a little bit before we wrap up is what you guys are doing in the community. Um, you know, when Klinger was on, one of the things we talked about was how awesome independent agents seem to be for giving back 
in their areas. I know you guys have a lot of very, uh, you know, a lot of formal events like your flag day deal and all of that. I just wanted you to spend a couple of minutes talking about the community involvement that BSP has and what that's done for you. Sure. So our biggest one, it's an annual event. It's called the choose love fundraiser. Um, Scarlett Lewis is a mother um, of the son, Jesse Lewis. Jesse Lewis, unfortunately, um, his life was taken at the Sandy Hook shootings um, a few years ago. So she chose to um, start a nonprofit called the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Foundation. And basically, she decided instead of being like pro-gun or anti-gun or whatever, she decided to basically choose a mantra of choosing love basically over violence and educating people because in the school systems right now, there's not a lot for students, especially young children, for social emotional learning and understanding how to choose, obviously, love over violence, right? Um, everybody comes from different upbringings, different parenting styles, stuff like that. So, you know, whatever you learn at home, that's basically it. In the school system, you're only learning reading, writing, arithmetic, stuff like that. So um, we basically put the fundraiser on every year um, in September and all the proceeds go to the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement. Um, last year, our event had over 300 people. We raised over $25,000. Um, and then the first $5,000 goes to a local school here in Meriden, um, Connecticut. So what we do is usually around fall, kind of winter time, a year in advance, obviously, we'll pick a school and then we'll decide what they need or what they want that maybe they're lacking. So um, the Benjamin Franklin School here in uh, Meriden, Connecticut, wanted kind of like a, a social emotional type room where they could have like sensory stuff for the children. These children are probably between the ages, uh, I would guess, between like seven year old to 10 year old, something like that. And it was the coolest experience. We just had um, the local newspaper, the record journal there with us doing a photo op and everything. So it's just great being able to give back to the community, regardless of whatever benefits come from it, from a, a financial standpoint, that's not our, our reasoning. We're all, all the business owners here are, are fathers and mothers, and we all have children. And this is very near and dear to our hearts. So just being able to do that and having an agency and the whole team buys in, it's just the greatest feeling um, in the world for everybody here and gives us a sense of purpose as well. Yeah. And I'm glad that that's the way you answered the question, because that's what I was hoping you were going to say when the way that I asked, it almost made it seem like, what did your agency get out of it monetarily? And that's never the answer that I'm looking for. And it's truthfully never the answer that we get. So, you know, it's good to know that, that there's so many agencies out there that are doing things local in their communities to, uh, you know, make it, make it a better place. Listen, I'm going to wrap up, man. We're like at an hour on the nose. Uh, really appreciate you spending the time with us today. Look forward to, um, having some fun making your cartoon for the thumbnail. I keep those secret until they drop. So there's no telling what I'm going to do with that. But, uh, I just, we just really appreciate you being on the show today, Justin, and wish you nothing but the best brother. It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys. Have a great day. All right, bud. You too. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.